Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Go bigger, faster, and to raise money faster. A lot of investors start out with their own money, and when they run out of money, they stop, and they don't look at continuing to acquire real estate. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Andrew Keel, how you doing, Andrew? Good. Thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure and looking forward to our conversation a little bit about Andrew. He's a mobile home park investor and has been one since 2015. He owns and operates 971 lots in 16 parks across seven states. He's based in Orlando, Florida. With that being said, Andrew, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, definitely. I started out actually rehabbing and flipping houses down in the Orlando, Florida area. I also was wholesaling. Eventually, through my marketing efforts, I came across a couple of mobile homes that were very, very cheap and I didn't really know what to do with them because they didn't have a deed. They were a lot different because they were personal property, kind of like a vehicle. They have a title. So ended up doing some research and on YouTube, I found a guy by the name of Lonnie Scruggs who wrote this book called Deals on Wheels, which I highly recommend and I ended up reading. And it just talks about buying mobile homes and selling them on contract and creating mailbox money. So ended up buying about 19 of those individual mobile homes and selling them on contract. And then through the process, I met a couple park owners and one of them told me the real wealth is built through owning the land, not the individual mobile homes. 
And that was like a game changer for myself. And I instantly just dove in and I went to the Frank and Dave's boot camp. I went to another mobile home park specific investing boot camp and dove in. And I was fortunate enough to have the wholesaling background. So I was cold calling and sending letters at the same time to find motivated sellers. Ended up at the Frank and Dave boot camp actually meeting some passive investors that wanted to invest in deals. And we put some deals together. Since then, we've done five deals together with the guy that I actually met at the boot camp. And I've brought on other JV partners since then and other private equity partners from doing syndications and so forth. So it's been a, an awesome ride. We're looking to continue buying properties, larger properties. We just closed a few months ago a five-park portfolio, and we have a couple under contract now. So just continuing to grow and acquire more affordable housing units. Where's the five-park portfolio located? That is in LaSalle County, Illinois. It's about an hour and a half west of Chicago. And tell us about that deal. So that deal, it was a pocket listing through a broker, ended up doing quite a lot of due diligence on it. And negotiations were very slow from when we actually went under contract. It was, I want to say March or April, and then it ended up closing in December of 2018. Oh. So it was just a long drawn out process. The sellers really wanted to go through and vet everything through their attorney. So it kind of dragged on a little bit, but thank goodness we did. We were able to get a decent concession from the seller after due diligence and doing some research. And I actually moved on site February, March, and April of this year. And through that process, we bought and brought in 23 used mobile homes along with 17 brand new mobile homes and just a massive infill project value add to the max. And now our property is worth about double. So really excited about that property. Ooh, you've given me so many things to ask questions about. Thank you for that. <laughs> okay. A lot of due diligence you said was done on that. Will you elaborate? Yes. When you're looking at five parks versus just one, mm -hmm. it's very intensive, right? Because you have to look at the utility infrastructure of each. When buying a mobile home park, due diligence is very, very important utility infrastructure specifically can make or break a deal. So some of the properties had private utilities, which means that they would have a well or a septic that we would be required to maintain. So we did specific inspections through experts in plumbing and electrical and in those private utilities to make sure that the infrastructure was intact and was going to last in the future. And if it did need repairs, what was the number that we needed either as a concession from the seller or that we would need to budget for to improve it moving forward. So that Is along it ideal with to have public infrastructure? One hundred percent. If you can get city water, city sewer, that is the best type of park to buy. Okay. Some of our parks, just because they're city water, city sewer, doesn't mean that that's like the end all because parks, I would say most of them are master metered, meaning there's just one bill that comes in from the local utility company that charges the park for all of their usage, usually for water and sewer. So then what a lot of park owners should do, if they haven't already, is sub-meter, put individual meters on all of the homes, and then read those meters on a monthly basis and build the tenants based off of their usage. A lot of the mobile home park owners today are mom and pop owners, and they don't have it submetered, and they just include the utilities with lot rent. So that's a value add component that we can add immediately when we buy these properties to increase the asset value. So utility infrastructure is one thing that you did. And 
you said there are five different parks. How far away are they? They're about 20 minutes apart from each other. Two of them are very close together, but they were a good distance apart. So when we would set out, when I was on location, I'd literally be hopping from park to park every day and it, it made for long days. What's the smallest lot and what's the biggest lot of the five? The smallest one had 31 lots and the largest had 78. So what were some unique things that you came across from a due diligence standpoint that you wouldn't normally come across if they were just all in one location? That's a great question. So one of the items is, we'll go back to the private utilities because that's where most of our headaches come from. Okay. One of the properties that was probably in the best city in terms of demand and size and employers, it had both private utilities. It had well and septic. So that just, for lack of a better terms, it it opens up a can of worms because you're now charging people. We go in and sub-meter that part because it wasn't metered. So now we're charging people for their water usage uh, to basically cover our costs to run both the well and the septic. And the septic system was an aging system. We knew that going in. And we had three different excavation slash septic expert companies come out and inspect the system. And one of them told us we had a 50-50 chance at surviving and lasting another five to 10 years. And then the other two said it was completely fine. So with that information, we had to make an educated decision on negotiating with the seller as to that septic system. And we basically got the seller to guarantee the system for a period of 12 months. And if it failed during that 12 months, they agreed to pay a certain amount of money to help with either new septic system we would have to install or connecting to city sewer, which is by far the best bet. So unfortunately enough, the septic system went bad in the the spring when we have the high water table. Luckily, we did have that guarantee there. Unfortunate for them, but really fortunate for you, I imagine. It is. And we're in process now working with engineers to get it hooked up to city sewer, which is by far going to be a a way better situation. But yeah, that's just the kind of stuff that we have to deal with. But mostly, actually all of the other parks have public water and sewer. So that right there makes it a good deal. That was the only one that was kind of a headache. How much does it cost to get it hooked up to public? It really depends on the distance away from where the current main line is in this situation is going to cost roughly $200,000. My eyes got really big just and you can't see me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a big ticket item. How much did you buy the portfolio for? We bought the portfolio for 3.2. Okay. It makes sense. Even if we would have paid that extra 200,000, the purchase price made sense. We're purchasing these at a 10, 11 cap. So the returns are there. It it was just mainly the project management of now having to oversee that is the painstaking process. But on the other end of this, the property will be worth maybe eight or nine cap because now it has that connection. Right. And you mentioned earlier that you got concessions from the seller. So clearly that was one thing where you had that contingency. Anything else? Some of the electrical, we always inspect the electrical in these parks. And a lot of these parks were built in the 70s. So they have older electrical infrastructure. And a couple of the parks actually had electrical issues that weren't immediate. It wasn't like, oh my goodness, they don't have power. But they were rusted 
meter banks and things like that that needed to be addressed to help us out. So they agreed they had an electrician that was going to take care of all of that before closing and that unfortunately didn't happen. So we had to put some money in escrow at closing and oversee that project to make sure that it got finished, of which it, it did. It just took a little bit longer than we would have liked. And you moved on site for three months. Tell us about that. Yeah, my wife is by far, she's fantastic. Very I mean, understanding. Very understanding, <laughs> very flexible, and she gets what we're building. So I'm so thankful to have her in my life. And her and my two-year-old daughter moved up to Ottawa, Illinois, and we rented a little Airbnb up there, nice little spot. And they moved up with me and I was working on the parks day in and day out. The main thing that when we purchased the property, there was poor management in place. You know, there was one manager overseeing all five parks and it was kind of like chaos every day you talked to her. There was some new fire that she was putting out. So we ended up putting a new on-site manager at every property. So that instantly gave us eyes and ears in each of the five properties and helped with our communication of what was going on inside of those locations. So that helped tremendously. What are some benefits from a bottom line P&L standpoint that you saw as a result of being there for those three months? Yeah, the toughest part in this business in terms of creating value is going to be bringing in new homes and used homes and also renovating existing homes that for whatever reason are not occupied and in some sort of disrepair. Because Unlike traditional multifamily and other asset classes, you can hire a general contractor that's licensed, insured, and has been doing this and has a track record of doing these construction projects. However, when you're renovating mobile homes and doing work on mobile homes, you get a different quality contractor and they require more babysitting, quite frankly. And with that, if you're on site, you can save yourself money compared to being thousand miles away and trying to make a decision off of photos or walkthrough videos. So we've been burned and learned from that experience and found out that it's just so important to be on site. We save thousands of dollars being able to point out, hey, you did replace the glass in this window and you can send me a picture showing me you did that. But if I didn't walk through after you did that, I wouldn't have noticed all of the broken glass that's now laying on the ground, <laughs> just laying there. You know, you sent me a picture of the window. It looks good, right? Normally, people would just send out a check. But since I can go now to that property, I can see the glass laying on the <laughs> ground and making the, the property look worse. A little kid can come and cut themselves. So that's the kind of stuff that we've found being on site really helps us out with. You mentioned bringing in new homes and used homes are one of the hardest parts. Will you elaborate on what you're talking about? Sure. So when you're bringing in used homes, I'll start there because I started out my background as a Lonnie dealer helps me where I can access used homes very quickly. You know, if you talk to anybody in the mobile home park space, they'll tell you that used home inventory is very small and that they have trouble finding used homes to fill vacant lots. So with that, I actually find several used homes in a given week through different avenues. You know, I use technology to do so and have different marketing tactic to be able to do that. So that's a process in and of itself to find the used homes. And then you have to hire a transporter to go tear it down, put axles on it, put the hitch on it, get it moved into the park. And then you have to hire an installer to then block level, tie down, put skirting on it, steps, 
And then you also have to get all the utilities hooked up, electrical and plumbing, mm. gas, if there is that. So it's a multi-stage process. And as with any project management, there's going to be some time involved with that. And being on site is very helpful in that aspect. Bringing in new homes, there's HUD laws per each state with new homes of how the site prep needs to be set up, meaning the lot. If we need to pour concrete down below the frost line, that's something that needs to be done prior to the home even being brought in. There's just different regulations that HUD requires for brand new homes. So making sure you have an experienced transporter and installer to install the homes is very important. Otherwise, you can have brand new homes just sitting there, not occupied because they haven't passed inspection. And obviously, that's just a waste of time and money. So having all those things happen at once in a period of three months was a little ambitious, I'll be honest. (laughs) We're still working on some of those projects. But overall, occupancy and demand for these mobile homes is so off the chart that were definitely profitable. So that's great. What are some common reasons why homes don't pass inspection? Number one, these are for new homes. The grading of the ground has to be so that water doesn't sit underneath of the homes. Even though they're skirting around it, if water can sit under there, that's a reason the inspector doesn't like it. It can attract mosquitoes, attract moisture, which then would rot out the subfloor. So you have to have proper grading and you also have to have the concrete runners that meet the local code, which would depend on the depth of the frost line. Like in Illinois, we had to go 48 inches deep with concrete runners so that when it does freeze and thaw, it's not going to adjust the level of the home. So those are just a couple of reasons. What's a project you've lost money on? Project I've lost money on. Or maybe the most money. Let's go with that. Which ones have you lost the most money on? Lost the most money on. We've been very fortunate in the mobile home park space where we've bought some off-market properties. So thank God we haven't lost money in the mobile home park space. However, when I was a home flipper in central Florida here, I bought into a property. I paid too much for it and was able to sell and not make all of my money back. I think I lost about four or 5,000 on that property, but I paid too much for it going in, took a chance and ended up losing a bit of money there. And, and you don't account for the time that you lost as well, mm-hmm. of getting that property ready. So yeah, it was 4,000, but really that was three, four months of work that also went into that. So it was quite a bit more than that. How are you finding off-market mobile home parks? We start out cold calling. How do you know who to cold call? Cold calling, it's pretty simple. You can type in mobile home parks into Google into a certain search criteria based on a certain area. And then you just basically call off of the Google Places numbers. And a lot of the times you'll reach managers and you have to somehow strategically get them to present your information to the seller. How do you do that? I try to just build rapport with them and kind of get them to like me, kind of prove that I'm not just joking around or a joker broker kind of thing. I try to build rapport and then if they don't want to give out the owner's information, which is ideal if they will, mm-hmm. then I will sometimes mail a letter to the tax assessor address on file for the owner. After I talk to the manager, mail them a letter to where they get their tax bill and say, hey, I'm interested in buying the property. If you're interested in selling, please give me a call. If not now, sometime in the future. Mm-hmm. So we've had success with that. How do you transition the conversation when you call the mobile home park from, hi, my name's Andrew, to what is the owner's contact information so I can reach out to him or her? Yeah, that's a great question. So usually when I call, 
I try to downplay it and just say, hey, this is Andrew. My wife, Katie, and I are interested in buying this mobile home park. We're looking to get into the business and we like this area and we like the size of this property. Would you be interested in selling? And I asked uh, the manager. I asked uh -huh. the manager, I assume that right. they're the owner. Yep. And then they say, oh, no, no, I'm not the owner. I'm the manager. I say, oh, I apologize. And then I just kind of talk in and say, oh, well, how long have you been managing the park? And what do you think about the business? And I just try to get them talking. Uh -huh. And after a little while, they kind of elaborate and tell me about the owner a little bit, about how long they've owned it, if they own any other properties, what other business avenues they own, if local, because a lot of these parks are owned by local mom and pops that you know, have other business ventures. And one time they said, oh yeah, he owns a car dealership and this and that. And but I can't give you his phone number. So I ended up calling the only <laughs> car, car dealership <laughs> and I got a hold of them. So there's right. just ways to kind of get around. Yeah. Very resourceful. Your wholesaling days served you well, I imagine, in that regard. They definitely did. Yeah. You got to keep going deeper. The deeper you go, the more you'll find. Huh. Taking a step back, based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? My best real estate investing advice would be to go bigger faster and to raise money faster. A lot of investors start out with their own money and when they run out of money, they stop and they don't look at continuing to acquire real estate. A good friend of mine, he has a nice little savings account, but he won't put any of his money in deals and he only raises money for all of the real estate that he purchases. And there's many different operators and ways of doing it, but I would just encourage people that your friends, family, potential investors out there, you're doing them a disservice by not allowing them to invest with you because the rate of return that they're going to get with you potentially could be a lot higher than any other program or annuity or CD that they could ever invest in. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. Best ever listeners, we have launched BestEverCauses.com. That's BestEverCauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Best ever way you manage properties in seven different states in terms of a process. What's a best ever process that you use? I would say we use a software called Slack. It's our messaging software and every single on-site manager is in their own channel based on that property. And instead of phone calls, we make the managers communicate with us through Slack. That way everything is in a nice concise little blurb instead of talking with managers sometimes you'll find that you'll be on the phone for an hour when you only needed 30 seconds to get an answer so that's one process that i've implemented that has worked tremendously for us what about the reverse of that where if you just jump on a phone call 
and you can get through it in five minutes versus going back and forth on chat for 15. To be honest, usually what happens when we hop on the phone is we end up talking about her sister's brother who got in a motorcycle <laughs> accident and broke his leg. And you'd be surprised, man. I mean, the conversations <laughs> go on and on and on. So in Slack, there's nothing really very complex that we discuss. It's, hey, did Lot 29 pay? It's more really like a yes and no type of thing. So we don't really have a lot of back and forth, I guess, is, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Fair enough. What's the best ever deal you've done? The best ever deal I've done, I was able to secure seller financing on a property that I own in Ohio and was able to secure 75% loan to value, 5% fixed. We have a 20-year note and the property when we purchased it had like 40 tenants. We've been able to increase that just by implementing some marketing and some other strategies. Now we have 64 tenants. So that's my best ever deal. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? Best ever way to give back to the community. I'm pretty active in church, so I give back through that. And we also have an angel program my wife and I donate to for kids in the Dominican Republic. Best ever way the listeners can learn more about what you got going on? Check out keelteam.com, my website. That's K-E-E-L-T-E-A-M.com. Always looking for new investors and partners and even if you're interested in the mobile home park business and you just like more information, be happy to chat with you. You can go on my website and set up a free consult. Enjoyed our conversation. Learned a lot from ways new mobile homes wouldn't pass inspection or common things for why they don't pass inspection. Talk about the grading of the ground to getting your hands dirty and living in the area of something you close on and what you were doing to help the P&L statement. And then also the private versus public utilities and how much that could cost to actually connect into public. So lots of stuff we talked about. Grateful that you're on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. We'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or cause that is near and dear to our heart. Get the word out about their cause and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out.